This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast where we help you learn to invest in roughly 40 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? It's very good, Bryce. A little bit of a throwback for this episode, I notice. It actually felt pretty good. Yeah, what well, you, it's, better, it's better than some of the uh, the lines you've been cracking out recently. This is very true. This is true. But uh, look, looking to continue with the theme of taking in intro suggestions from our listeners. But I think for this episode, we thought we'd revert back to the old. And that's because Ren got another expert investor. Well, before we get into that, here's an idea. Listeners, tell us what you think about it. What if we don't do an intro? What if we're the first podcast that just doesn't do an intro and we just start talking? That would be so lame. No no intro music either. Just like really. (laughs) No emotion either, just monotone. (laughs) I feel like we'd lose a lot of people very quickly. (laughs) Anyway, Ren, as I said, today we have another one of our expert investor series and this one is a little different. Usually we focus quite heavily on interviewing experts in the field of equities and you know the ASX or, or overseas or particular markets. But but today we were lucky enough to be joined by uh, Johnny Wilkinson, who is the co-founder and director of Equitize, which he does sort of give a bit of an intro to. But Ren, do you just want to give a quick rundown of why we found this episode uh, a bit different and interesting? Yeah, well, Bryce reached out to him because he thought he was the former England rugby player, but... Um... <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> Brandon, nah, so, people believe what you say on this yeah, show. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. i got to start doing that. No, nah, so Equitize has been a business that has fascinated us for a while. It's something that we, well, both Bryce and I have looked at. Um, neither of us have invested on the platform, but essentially what it does is it democratizes venture capital for everyone. It's a It's one of these new wave of equity crowdfunding platforms And what it allows is for companies who need to raise money to go to the platform and make it publicly available, make the investment in their company publicly available. So rather than going to your traditional venture capital fund or a high net worth individual, 
you can just say to the public, here we are, we're a business that does X, Y, or Z. We need to raise this much money. Um, and if you help us fund it, you can have a piece of our company. So venture capital is obviously very, very hot right now, very topical, a lot of money in that space. And this is one of the platforms that are trying to open that world up to more and more people. So that's the platform. Johnny is a co-founder of Equitize, one of the Australian businesses. He he co-founded it with two, no, sorry, with uh, one other person, Chris, and together they've built it for sort of four years into one of the bigger players in the Australian market. I think they've raised about thirty to th- thirty to forty million dollars to date. So a fair bit of money raised. When you think about it, a lot of it's in increments of. 100 and 200 dollars and we in this interview we really just talk about venture capital and the this equitized business and uh, the alternative investment opportunity that it offers for you know both bryce and i who are quite focused on equities it's it's something different it's it's a different way to deploy our money yeah, it's a great point, Ren. I think, if anything, I hope that the Equity Mates community just see this as another avenue of investing in businesses. You know, but you and I are, you mentioned, you know, solely focus on the stock exchanges. But at the end of the day, I think we both have a, an interest in investing in businesses generally. And this is just another form of, of doing that. So higher risk and higher reward. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you pick the right business, you're obviously picking it early in its journey and you get a higher upside, but a lot of businesses fail and you you have to be aware of that risk if you're investing in the venture capital world. Yeah, good point, Ren. And we touch on all of this throughout the interview. So uh, without probably talking about the whole interview, I think we should just crack, <laughs> we should just crack into it and let uh, the Equity Mates community listen to it for themselves. I hope, we, I hope you guys enjoy. So today we are lucky enough to continue with our expert investor series and this one, Ren, is uh, a bit different to the ones that we usually have on the show. Today we're going to be moving away from direct sort of stocks and, and investing and more into the sort of venture capital side of things. Um, so very much looking forward to this conversation, Ren. So probably without further ado, I guess for anyone interested in in knowing who we have on today, we have Johnny from Equitize, which is a, a, a venture capital crowdfunding uh, business that we'll let him sort of uh, explain and, and dig into a bit deeper. But welcome to the show, Johnny. Very excited to have you on. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Johnny, we'll kick off with a game that we always like to play just to get a bit of a vibe on where you sit with uh, certain assets and, and that sort of thing. But I thought before we do, I just want to... I just want to let you know that when Ren and I were at university, we would usually usually sit on the deck and have a few beers and chat about businesses that we thought we would like to start. And one of them that Alec came up with was called Adventure, and uh, <laughs> it was a it was a, a business called A Double D hyphen venture that was pretty much exactly the same as Equitize. So if he is a bit frosty in this interview, it's because uh, I think you've directly stolen his idea. At least that's how he's feeling. (laughs) Gotcha. Look, uh, I I don't live next door to either of you guys, so I definitely didn't steal it from that. But yeah, sure. (laughs) No, no, no. We're not not starting the interview with a big accusation. But if you do want to use the name Adventure, I think it's great, you know, because you add venture capital, but investing is also an adventure. So Feel free to use that for your charge. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll, I'll put that one on the list. 
So, Ren, do you want to kick off uh, overrated, underrated? Yeah, yeah. So, we like to start this game uh, with all our guests. We name an investing theme or an investing asset class, and we like to hear your thoughts about whether uh, that asset or theme is over or underrated today. So, to kick things off, overrated or underrated equities? Overrated. Huge. Is there a reason why you think that? I assume we're talking listed equities. I think everyone just has a bit too much of a focus on uh, investing in what they know. A lot of people have either bent towards blue chip stocks or go after some of the racier sort of, you know, mining, exploration companies, those sorts of things. Traditionally in Australia, people don't know too much more outside of those sorts of things. So I think generally we put a bit too much reliance on traditional listed equities. Interesting. So digging a bit deeper then, uh, overrated or underrated index funds? Uh, middle of the road. Fair enough. Fairly rated, I guess you could say. Fairly rated, yeah. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> overrated or underrated corporate debt? Underrated. Is there a reason why? Yeah, look, uh, I think you know, particularly again in Australia, it's not something that's well understood by the general investing public and it has capability to be very supportive of uh, you know general growth and investment in the economy, particularly with the overall restrictions in credit and lending by banks uh, post sort of GFC and Basel III. You know, there's a lot of great companies out there that need access to funding but can't easily access it. So I think corporate debt and the evolution of corporate debt markets in Australia is going to be a big boon to um, you know startups, grow, growing companies, particularly sort of SMEs, and uh, yeah, is, is essential for the future. Interesting. So then, overrated or underrated uh, venture capital? Underrated, definitely. In Australia, there hasn't been a very well-established venture capital scene. And if you compare the relative investment in venture capital per capita in Australia to a lot of our peers, it it, it really lags significantly. It's part of a function of the ASX having been quite a well-functioning early-stage capital market historically, but that doesn't work for all companies and particularly as we're seeing you know, global push towards private capital markets becoming more established and there's a bit more structure and capability within private capital markets to run businesses where there's no, no longer an immediate need to list. So I think particularly in Australia, venture capital is, is really starting to find its feet and become more and more accepted and understood, but we're a long way. So I, I definitely think it's underrated and uh, has a lot of way to go in Australia. Yeah, I'm very interested interested in that theme of private companies staying private longer and longer and the bigger and bigger rounds that come with that. But we'll, uh, we'll pick that up maybe later in the interview. For now, overrated or underrated, the home of venture capital, some may say, Silicon Valley. I think it's overrated. For any particular reason? Look, I, I think, um, you know, being an entrepreneur is a difficult journey and kind of the, the luster or the fame attached to Silicon Valley is definitely an important thing to look to. But, you know, there's a bit of a self-serving cycle around Silicon Valley and, you know, you, you get people going there. It does breed a lot of great things, but in the end, uh, you know, it, it's an environment that doesn't 
always help all the actors and you know people probably pay more for companies in silicon valley just by virtue of location you know as as capital gets more efficient uh, and moves around globally and as running companies is more accessible you know from just different geographic locations uh the need for a particular concentrated ecosystem like that is you know is obviously changing so I think it will have less and less relevance over time, but, you know, it, it is quite overrated. Um, great TV show if you've seen the TV show, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but if we're talking the location, then yeah. <laughs> and finally, Johnny, overrated or underrated, probably one of the mega players in, in VCs, the SoftBank VC fund. That's an interesting one. I'd say it's both overrated and underrated. It's overrated in the sense that, people put too much emphasis on what they do and who they invest in. I'd say it's underrated in the sense that we definitely do need some really big corporate venture uh, and, you know, associated successful, you know, global tech companies investing in uh, the future and and channeling funds into, uh, you know, VC and and supporting uh, new new growth. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So, Johnny, thanks for playing overrated or underrated. I think that gives us a flavor for you know some of, some of your thoughts on the different markets and asset classes out there. To kick off the interview, we, we generally like to go back to the beginning of people's investing journeys. So to start at the very beginning, uh, can you tell us about your first investment, whether it was stocks or otherwise? Sure. I'm pretty sure my first investment going back was buying a little mining stock that I'd heard a tip about. A friend had sort of been talking about something. I think I created a Comsec account and um, and bought a couple thousand dollars worth of worth of stock. It would have been either that or a or a biotech of some script, I think. Ren, I don't know about you, but I think every second uh, expert investor we have on the series is a first investment in a in a mining stock that they got a tip from. <laughs> I think that's the Australian like experience. <laughs> that's definitely and, the Australian experience. Yeah. <laughs> and how did that uh, how did that turn out for you, Johnny? Do you still hold it, or was it um, did it trigger your enthusiasm in markets? It definitely triggered my enthusiasm in markets. It taught me a lot of lessons. I think I made and lost money along the way. Tried to trade it. I think it's defunct now, but yeah, it did actually te- teach me a fair bit around markets and understanding hype, uh, understanding sort of 
real sort of news flow and events and, and how you can and can't necessarily trade sort of, you know, your more liquid stocks. So was that at early on in sort of like university? I mean, were you always interested in, in finance and investing or did this come later on? Yeah, so I think that was uh, sort of just when I was starting university. I've always had an interest in finance and investing. My parents weren't sort of active uh, investors in the stock market. Uh, they very traditional sort of Aussies of their generation made all their money out of investing in property. I believe the story actually goes they made their first decent foray into uh, into equities in 1987, a few days before the crash. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they got turned off it uh, pretty quickly. And then aside from the likes of, you know, Telstra and, uh, you know, NIB and some of those sorts of uh, privatizations, those sorts of things, uh, I don't think they really held many stocks for a long time after that. So I, I always had a particular interest in sort of finance and economics and investing. And, yeah, that's just grown over time. So, Johnny, one thing we like to ask our guests is over the journey, you know, people form different ideas about different assets and different markets and how you should invest. Do you personally have a personal investment philosophy that you follow? Sure. Yeah. Look, I look at things through a number of different lenses and depending on sort of what funds I'm allocating. My general view is I've got super that's going to continue to grow for a long time. So, I'll leave that to it. It's thing and I've got some pretty decent exposure to, you know, ASX 200 through that. Thereafter, the things that I like to invest in are interesting high growth companies that are doing something novel, have, have a good team or some, some people behind it that are, you know, passionate about solving a problem. Yeah, normally look for something a bit interesting and novel. Early on, a lot of my money and uh, investment sort of uh, won and lost was in biotechs. You know, I, I think it's a really interesting space. In Australia, we have some amazing research and development, but by virtue of not having a great amount of venture capital to support those companies, you get a lot of companies listing early on the ASX, which means, you know, they have a lot of volatility. A lot of them, you know, invariably list too early and, and there's a lot of things that happen around that. That was one of actually one of the main drivers and um, reasons that, we started or my, my personal reason for starting Equitize was seeing that there was an inefficiency in the market around around that sort of thing, particularly biotechs. So I just want to clarify, uh, Johnny, when you see you've got your super for the long term and you're after those sort of high growth companies, is that primarily through the private markets that you're doing that or are you still looking for those opportunities through the ASX and, and listed companies? Yeah, look, I hold a couple kind of bottom draw listed things and the rest of my investments are all unlisted these days. I used to work for City and Equity Markets and when you're in the markets and switched on to everything every day, you know, that, that tends to be focused. But the world I operate in now in, in unlisted and venture capital space is, is completely different. So uh, I'm not attuned to what's happening on the ASX. Um, so most of what I do is, yeah, just the unlisted stuff that we, we see. So we've touched on Equitize. Uh, well, it's been mentioned. So now is probably a good time to uh, explain to all our listeners who aren't familiar with Equitize and what it does, what it is. To start with the you know the very basic level, Johnny, can you can you tell us what is Equitize and what it does? Sure. So Equitize is an investment platform for unlisted securities. That 
simply means that we use a new form of regulation called equity crowdfunding or crowdsource funding is the technical definition to allow everyday investors to invest in unlisted securities. We also do IPOs and wholesale raises from your more traditional kind of angel high net worth investors as well. But in essence, what we're doing is we're opening up the market and allowing more and more people to invest in high growth unlisted securities. Yeah, it's a really interesting concept. And I came across you guys maybe 18 months ago or so, and we haven't really discussed it on the show much, but definitely encourage our listeners to, while you listen to this interview, to just jump on to the website and check it out. It'd probably make a bit more sense as we go through, you get an understanding of, of, um, of what we're talking about. So Johnny, I guess the big question then is why would a business decide to go down the crowdfunding route as opposed to go down the path of either taking on debt with no shareholders or even go for an IPO? Sure. So look, equity crowdfunding is just a form of venture capital funding. So it's equity and it's effectively high risk capital for high growth uh, ventures. The reason that you would look to equity crowdfunding or venture capital versus uh, an ASX listing or debt, particularly debt uh, can be quite difficult to attract. You may have to offer up a heap of security unless you have some really strong cash flows most banks won't lend to you. It's not an easy space to fund high growth companies through debt in Australia as to why you wouldn't list on the ASX. A lot of the companies we're raising money for your more seed or series A stage companies. The view and you know belief is that that will allow companies to stay private a little bit longer before having to list on the ASX. But listing on the ASX is quite a expensive, time-consuming, and it's a huge burden to hold ongoing for a company. So there's a lot of reasons that you don't need to list these days. And as equity equity capital markets evolve and things like venture capital in Australia gets a little bit more established and there's opportunities like equity crowdfunding, means a lot of companies don't need to list as soon as they do traditionally. So... It's just another opportunity. You know, that being said, all companies should be funded with a mix of sort of debt and equity and or different types of debt and equity at different stages. So we don't think we're a silver bullet and and solve all the problems. But um, for a lot of companies, we are uh, probably the better alternative to taking on debt or doing an ASX listing. Yeah, interesting. So I'm I'm a beginner investor and you mentioned that Equitize gives the opportunity to invest in unlisted securities. So talk me through the process of actually how you go about that. Is there a minimum that is required? You know, am I buying a certain percentage of businesses? Do I get a say on what business I choose? How does the actual sort of process work just to clarify before we go a bit deeper into the business itself? Sure. So once you kind of get set up on our platform and do the electronic verification of your identity and agree to our financial services guide, all that sort of stuff, there is a list of companies at any point in time that are raising money. You can click through on the platform and look at that company and the offer. It will have how much the company's raising, what 
what percentage they're giving up, so that the relative valuation of the company, it'll have information about who's involved, what the use of funds will be for, what the future looks like. Most of our deals will have a video that is a really good way of getting a sense of what the company does and how they're going to use the funding and who's involved. So you can get on, you can download the offer document, you can watch a video, you can look at whatever information you like and then decide to make an investment. Most of the deals, the minimum investments are around $100 or $250. You know, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible and so people can build out a portfolio of companies. So, yeah, it'll depend on each company uh, and that's part driven by the company, part driven by the valuation, the share price, but the average investment, minimum investment is about $100 or $250. Yeah, nice. So... I, I love this as a concept. I think it, you know, just massively increases accessibility for early stage investments. I guess what I'm interested in is for businesses, there's obviously pros and cons with going with an established uh, venture capital player or, you know, choosing to, I guess, crowdfund and have multiple smaller investors. So for any budding entrepreneurs out there or maybe for the uh, Equity Mates Investing podcast that may want to raise money at some point. <laughs> Asking us- for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> talk, talk us through the, um, the sort of pros and cons of, as you say it, between going with a crowdfunding site like Equitize or going the more traditional venture capital route. Sure. So look, with venture capital, definitely you get some experience and capability and ideally you know some some smart people that have experience in running companies similar to what you're doing that can definitely be a benefit from venture capital Uh, not all vc firms are like that not all of them are quite friendly and not all of them you know really roll up their sleeves and get involved with help helping you run the business often having one vc investor or a couple vc investors can mean that the terms you're giving up or you're you, you know, the terms are on aren't favourable to the company. We actually quite often have deals where there might be a VC investor investing in the round or an existing VC investor, and we're happy to invest alongside those sorts of investors because it gives us some confidence. So crowdfunding does bring some different capability and different sort of uh, group of shareholders than venture capital. So the pros are that it might mean you end up with a bit more of a balanced cap table with less of a control issue in, in that, you know, you have one or two larger investors with, with a large amount of control. The ideal scenario we see is, you know, a third or half of the money might come from VC and then the rest of it can come from our investors and, and stakeholders of the company raising money. That's one of the great joys of equity crowdfunding is that you can go out to the stakeholders, might not just be your customers, they might be, you know, clients uh, or people that you've worked with before or, or you know, partners, um, that sort of thing. And those people can invest as well. The pros, generally speaking, it allows you to tap into a broader audience than you've ever been able to before. It gives you a relatively safe environment. And I say relatively safe because 
most of these deals are obviously risky, but it's happening in a regulated fashion. Um, so people know what they're getting. They know that a platform has been through a process and that they have requirements under their license to do certain checks and balances on the company. So you are kind of able to compare apples to apples in that sense. So from investors' perspective, it makes it a little bit easier. From a company's perspective, it, it, it makes it easier in the sense that you know what you need to produce and what information you need to share with potential investors. Look, the cons are that, you know, it isn't always right for every company. Some companies are a bit complicated or very deep technical, you know, sectors might be hard to articulate or convey what you're doing to, to investors. So, you know, it can be difficult to raise that money. So, you know, if if it's not suitable for your business, you might be wasting a bit of time and energy in, in trying to go for a, a broader raise using equity crowdfunding, whereas, you know, you'd be better spent targeting um, some specific investors that know the space. Look, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity to engage with, uh, potential shareholders and people that can back and support your business. One of the cons is there is a little bit more admin, but it's not significant and it does indeed breed good corporate governance into a lot of the companies. So, you know, there's there's a little bit more admin, but uh, it's not actually that difficult uh, and there's a lot of, you know, online, uh, easy digital tools that allow companies to manage a bit of a larger shareholder base. So, you know, as far as we're concerned, it's mostly pros and it's a great alternative to traditional venture capital. So, Johnny, I'm really interested to know about some of the companies that have gone through the platform, some success stories and some, I guess we'd love to hear about some of the failures as well. I remember when I first started looking at Equitize, came across you guys maybe 12, 18 months ago, I think, as I said. And at the time, one of the companies that was available to invest in was, I think it was called Westwinds or it was a gin company. Yes. Yeah. And it looked, I was pretty interested in it. There was a lot of stuff in the media at the, at the time about, you know, the growth of gin. And it- yeah, you, you, you spoke about it for a long time. I don't know if you ever actually yeah, invested about it for, <laughs> no, And then I never pulled the trigger on it. So <laughs> I'd love to know um, if you know if how, how, that's, how that's going and also maybe if you could just touch on some of the more sort of successful companies or memorable um, companies that have gone through your platform, maybe exceeded the subscription or, or have gone on to a really strong exit. Sure. So, look, Westwinds was definitely uh, a great success. Uh, it was one of the first companies we raised money for uh, in 2018 after the equity crowdfunding laws kicked in. In essence, they're a boutique gin producer from Margaret River. They mm. use Australian botanicals in their gin production and they're sort of heavily awarded and well-recognised sort of in, in the um, – in the bartending and, and sort of spirits industry. So that was a great raise, a really good team we got to work with. And, yeah, we went out initially, I think, targeting half a million dollars for them and ended up getting just shy of a million dollars. So that, that was a good raise. They're off doing their thing, growing business, um, expanding. That's only sort of been a year or 18 months since since we first raised them the money. So um, I think, you know, they've got, got a bit more time to, uh, to really sort of do a lot. But, um, yeah, they're well on the way and, and doing some great things. So 
So they're one of the ones that we uh, like to talk about and are proud of, especially because it's uh, always easy when you're in a bar to point to the <laughs> yeah, I own that. <laughs> and say we raise money for them. Or, yeah, I'm in that was my goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so that, they've gone well. The other companies uh, that we've raised for that have kind of been memorable or of note, um, when the Australian equity crowdfunding legislation kicked in, the very day we got our license last year on the 11th of January, uh, we launched for Zinja, which is a neobank. Um, so that was pretty cool. The moment we launched that and the, the next sort of 12, 18 hours, we couldn't leave our desks. You know, it, it went bananas. We had a whole heap of people um, sign up and invest and it was, it was awesome. So, Johnny, can I just ask, what, what's a neobank? Good question. So, a neobank, neo being new, is a type of bank that is effectively built new from the ground up and these days is digital. You know, there's no bricks and mortar, there's no branches, and it's built to be as efficient as possible. Uh, the UK is where they're most established and there's a number of uh, neobanks in the UK. Monzo is one of them. Uh, it's quite quite well known. Uh, there was one out of the US called Simple that got acquired by a, a big global bank. In essence, it's about being able to deliver a better product and service in a more targeted fashion without some of the costs and legacy systems that come with traditional banking. So... It's just, as the name suggests, a new bank and it's built ground up for the customer first, more often than not. I saw there's one coming called 86400 or something. Is that right? Yeah, so that's one of the one of the neobanks. Yeah, they uh, have some backing, and one of the one of the guys involved was uh, very early on involved with the UK scene and, and was involved with one of the UK neobanks. Their name, I think, refers to the uh, the hours. Sorry, not the hours and date. Um, the minutes in a day. So, yeah. Look, um, obviously, with some of these these new banks and, and them trying to put a bit of a, a new edge marketing spin on it, they come up with some interesting names and branding. So, uh, you know, that, that that's cool. It gets people's attention. So, yeah. So, the main ones uh, that you'd probably heard about would be at eight. 86400, Volt, Zinja, and uh, Judo, which is actually a, a neobank but more focused on business banking. Interesting. Whole whole different concept that I haven't uh, haven't really looked into before. So something to add, something to look into. Yeah, Zinja is a really exciting bank. Um, we've now raised money for them twice. We raised almost a year and a day after the first round uh, some money again this year and that's sort of been a part of their strategy and engagement with their customers and building the bank uh, for their customers and engaging them. So, you know, we were really proud of them and they've done done some great things and, and going on and, uh, and, and uh, kicking lots of goals. So they're, they're a good one. Other memorable ones or, or things that have stood out, uh, we also help with IPOs and, and often um, get investment into IPOs. One of the IPOs we raised money for is just recently going through an acquisition. So that's a company called Dreamscape. So they listed in, on the ASX and then are being acquired at the moment. So that's interesting and memorable in, in the sense that that's one of the first companies that we've had that's kind of listed and then has had a subsequent uh, event of note. So 
that's that's been interesting to watch. Another interesting company that stands out. It's called Retirement Income Group. Uh, it's a New Zealand company. It was the second business we ever raised money for. And while what they do isn't exactly sexy, people involved and what they've achieved in the past three or four years is, is pretty amazing. So they're like a challenger financial for New Zealand. So they provide annuity products to your more retiree sort of market. So in simple terms, what they do is they combine a fund management product with an insurance product and provide a an annuity stream of income to retirees so that they have some certainty around how much money they'll have uh, and, and what they can live off. So we helped them raise money uh, in 2015 before they even received their license to operate and we've now raised money for them another three times and they've gone on and are doing really well. Uh, they've got a couple hundred million of funds under management and that's about to jump up uh, significantly in, in the next next few months. So yeah, look, um, that, that's one that we really like to talk about because it goes on to prove that we've helped them from the very early days. Um, they credited us with, uh, if, if we hadn't helped them raise the first lot of money, they might not be where they are today. So, you know, it's always good to see those companies growing and evolving and, and us helping them raise money and them not listing just for the sake of it. So, Johnny, one, one thing I'm interested in, is there any companies that when they signed up, you didn't think they would be able to raise anything, but then ended up killing it uh, and raising a fair bit of money? I don't think so. I mean, early on, we had a few that we weren't entirely sure how they would go. And for instance, the, the company I just mentioned, Retirement Income Group, was one of them. That was the second deal we ever did. We ended up raising them half a million dollars in, uh, I think it was eight days. And in the last day, we we kind of got to 200 uh, or 250,000 uh, by about eight in the morning. I jumped on a flight and then when I got off the flight, it was at 300 and then by the close of business, it, it got to half a mil. So, yeah, I mean, as, as we've got more and more runs on the board, we've been able to get a better sense of how a lot of these companies would go. You tend to get companies surprised to the downside rather than the upside. Often there's companies that we think might be really good or, or, or might be really investable and, you know, we'd put lots of money into and uh, they might go off and, and, you know, barely get over their minimum investment hurdle. We've had a couple of deals that we actually haven't managed to raise them their minimum um, and, and companies that we thought were really good and and, uh, and, and personally put some money into. So, yeah, it, it just depends. There is an element of surprise whenever you're raising money and there's a lot of variables. So, you know, as, as we get more and more uh, understanding of how, how all those mechanics work and, and different, uh, you know, different investor psychology and things, we, we, we kind of get a good sense of that, but nothing ever goes to plan. So, look, uh, all the raises are exciting and interesting and things happen that you, you don't always plan for. So, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting space. Yeah, the, the reason I ask that question is, I imagine one of the benefits of equity crowdfunding is it opens up the opportunity set for new and novel and uh, you know out of left field businesses that may not be getting a look in with traditional VC. You know, a two like equity out mates there. podcast. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like an investable <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so. 
Do you see any sort of, you know, we like out of left field or you know really novel uh, new business models and ideas come through the Equitize platform? Sure. Um, one of the ones we raised money for last year is a company called Direct Injections Technology, and simple terms, they have their main product is a smart water dosing system for livestock. So they put uh, supplements into livestock's water and they have gone on to do tremendously well post-raising money from us. It is ag tech, but it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a a software or, or, um, you know, blockchain-based ag tech solution that would likely get attention from your venture capital uh, investors. Uh, so the money that we raised for them was a combination of their networks and, and people on our platform that really saw saw the benefit in what they were doing. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of attention in Australia around um, drought and uh, better farming uh, practices management. So it, it was a really good company. Um, we're actually going to raise money for them again in the next few months. They're coming back. You know, they've, they've just done tremendously well in growing the business uh, and, you know, they're looking to raise some more money to continue that. So that is an example of a company that, you know, did kind of go out and, and didn't have success in your traditional venture capital but could tap into a, a broad network and um, a, a group of people that really wanted to back them and, and support them in their growth. As an investor, Johnny, there's a fair bit of information that um, you guys provide on each of the companies and you, you know you can go in and do a fair bit of your own due diligence before making a decision around uh putting in some money i'm interested to know on your end is is there any sort of vetting process uh around a businesses coming onto the platform do you so you know how, how as an investor do i ensure that the businesses are of quality or is that still left up to the investor to decide more than than you guys so roughly speaking, about 10% of companies that come to us make it onto the platform. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So we get a lot of companies coming through. Um, a lot of them might not be suitable for the platform. They might not be suitable to raise money at the stage they're at. We might think that the sector or industry they're in might not be the sort of thing that, that we you know we necessarily want to be involved with or help raise money for. Uh, so there's a lot that happens behind the scenes. We spend a lot of time speaking to people, learning about companies, um, going through a process of understanding that, engaging with them. Because it's quite new and because um, a large amount of our investor base of retail, you know, there's certain things that we, we try and avoid that we think, you know, make it a bit easier for your general retail investor to, to understand so, yeah, there's, there's actually a, a fair bit that goes on behind the scenes. We have our process and due diligence and, and things that we do in order to get comfortable around what, what deals we put up and we take them through quite an involved, involved sort of gated steps uh, of, of clarifying information, collecting relevant and, and important information, putting together the offer, putting together a marketing plan and strategy and, and then... Um, putting the offer up on the platform. So, yeah, look, um, we can never say that every company is perfect and that we haven't missed anything, um, but we do a lot of work and thereafter 
the open and transparent nature of it, the ability to look at all the information, ask questions of the CEO or, or, or you know, the management of the company on the platform in an open fashion is, is really uh, positive and helps, helps you know, drill light on, on a lot of important questions or, or things. So fortunately, yeah, look, we, we haven't had any any fraudulent things come through. Um, people trying to run scams or get us to raise money for anything anything properly dodgy. As time goes on, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we might have that, but they'll, they'll get weeded out through our process. So, you know, it's it, it's a evolving thing, definitely help get companies through and as it becomes more accepted and more understood and more investors are, are, are participating, you know, we'll, we'll be putting um, more and more companies through. So no doubt over time, um, you know, there'll, there'll be more involvement from the crowd and, and in, you know, uh, insight drawn and, and interrogation done of these companies as they're raising money. So we see that as a, a positive thing because it you know really helps with investors understanding and education and um, obviously leverages the wisdom of the crowd to hopefully you know have have some great successful companies raise money and go on and, and deliver returns. Yeah, nice. So speaking of returns, uh, before we move into a few questions more about the industry itself, we just wanted to briefly touch on the liquidity side and, and the exit side of Equitize. So as an investor, I've put my money in and. Um, and I want to then hopefully get a return if the business is going well. Um, how how does that work? Uh, when, when do I get my money back? And uh, what is sort of the average length that people are sitting on um, their investment at the moment before there's an there's an exit or a return? Sure. So we we do a few different sorts of raises. We do IPOs. So often uh, you might get immediate liquidity because the company's listing. You know whether or not the stock is is highly liquid and easily traded. Um, that is often the case on the ASX. Um, you know, small cap companies might not be overly liquid. It's not like buying and selling BHP or CBA where there's a very tight spread. We do some pre-IPO uh, raises, so that could be anywhere from sort of six to twelve to twenty-four months before the company comes through and lists. In that space, I mean, we've, we're fortunate we haven't haven't had it, but um, some companies go down the path of looking to do an IPO and then have to change their plans or pull their IPO. Broadly speaking, for the unlisted securities and the venture capital high growth uh, stuff we, we do most of, uh, the, the average horizon is sort of a mid to long term horizon. So call it five to seven years is, is likely before there's a proper uh, event being a listing or a trade sale. But that varies. Some some will be quicker. Some some might take longer. And to be honest, you know, we've only been operating for about four years. We're starting to see some stuff come through, but un- until we're kind of ten years in, I, I don't think we will have have a proper sense of exactly what what those sort of timeframes look like. But it is very much a traditional venture capital sort of uh, timelines and, and expected potential returns. So, Johnny, I'm interested in using. Uh, this next question to talk about what you're saying at Equitize, but also to understand what you're saying in the broader uh, venture capital market in Australia. Uh, I guess being, you know, the posi- the position you're in is quite a unique position, and I think you would have a real, a really good sense. You would have a good deal flow, and you'd have a good sense of what deals are being made uh, throughout the venture capital world at the moment. 
So if you think about what trends you're seeing in terms of the types of businesses that are coming through, the types of investors that are coming on and the the size of the investments that are being made, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the trends that you're seeing in Australian venture capital today? Sure. So look, I mean, as I alluded to before, uh, Aussie venture capital's um, really sort of growing up and kind of coming of age. Um, that being said, it's still kind of a gangly teenager. There's been a lot of money flow in and, and you know, a lot of new funds open up in the past five years and uh, that's fantastic for the ecosystem. But uh, it does take time for um, for a lot of these funds to really get involved in the ecosystem and, and make significant investments. That has been exhibited through the likes of um, Airtree and Squarepeg and Blackbird. That are some more established funds that are you know onto their second and third funds and have raised some significant capital, and they're now moving further up the chain uh, and investing around sort of Series B and C. So. In general, you know, I think the industry is really evolving and growing. There's more participants, there's more funds to be invested. Super funds are starting to invest. Hopefully more and more super funds will, will begin to invest. Traditionally, most of them have had their allocation uh, in, in sort of this asset allocation space towards US, European private equity and venture capital. So as, as things evolve, it will be great to see some more uh, money channeled towards supporting Aussie VC and, and, and this stage of the market. Look, it's, it's really exciting. There's a lot of activity. Uh, there's new funds. There's new people coming on board. There's venture debt is starting to happen in Australia. Yeah, there's, there's a lot happening. It's, it's pretty exciting. There's a lot of deal flow. People um, from both sides being companies and, and the investors are, um, are becoming more, uh, more astute and knowing uh, what's expected of the market and, uh, and what, you know, what's happening relative to around the world. So, you know, that's, um, that's also great to see and, and will bode well for the long-term outcome and, and benefits of the market. So I noticed that you guys are based in Australia and New Zealand. Is there much difference between the uh, VC markets in uh, those two countries or are we, uh, once again, pretty similar in a lot of respects? Sure. So if you're talking venture capital funds, New Zealand doesn't have a lot of venture capital funds. They do have a very well-performing angel network that's uh, provide a lot of the seed funding. Generally speaking, aside from, you know, that that. Uh, fact that there's you know there's not as many VC funds uh, in New Zealand and the angels sort of play a slightly different function and invest a little bit more money we're very similar you know uh, New Zealand and Australia are, are biggest uh, you know we're New Zealand's biggest trading partner you know our psychology our um, you know history uh, is, is very similar and you know a lot of the businesses and companies and people involved uh, operate uh, in very similar ways. So there is a difference. It's not just the accent, but it's, it's about as similar as you can get. So then how does it compare to, I guess, the markets over in US and, and Europe? Any sort of major similarities or differences over there? Sure. Look, I, I've never actually worked in the US or Europe in VC. Um, so I, I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but from 
uh, my exposure and uh, the interactions we have with those markets and, and what we're seeing and, and, and what we um, what we understand and, and get exposure to. Um, you know, strictly speaking, uh, companies probably a little bit cheaper on relative valuations in Australia and New Zealand. New Zealand, again, is a little bit cheaper than Australia, uh, although that's changed over the past few years. Obviously, you know, the the competition and uh, how active uh, venture capital is in US and Europe is, is not comparable because they're very well established. Uh, there's lots more deeper pools of capital. Um, people people like investing and, and even allocate significantly towards venture capital as an asset class in those parts of the world. So, yeah, look, they are really well-performing and slick and have a lot of volume and activity and across the sort of seed series a through to your later stage financing of um of your more uh, private unlisted securities uh there's there's a lot more happening in the us and europe um and it'll take australia a while to catch up so johnny we're um we're creeping up on an hour so i want to uh say a massive thank you for taking the time to talk to us i think uh equitize is at a very interesting, um, very interesting, you know, point in the VC markets and investing markets more generally, and I think it's something that Bryce and I will be watching closely, and uh, maybe next time he'll actually invest in the gym, gym, sorry, invest know, in the gym company <laughs> rather than just talk about it. Um, before we get into the final three questions that we uh, finish every interview with. Uh, do you have any social media or um, uh, you know other other places where listeners who are interested can uh, find out more about you and about Equitize? Sure. Look, the best way is to just sign up to the website. It's free. Investing's free, but by doing that, you get sent all of the deals as they as they come out and looking at the deals and. You know, interacting and asking questions and, and getting an understanding uh, is probably one of the easiest ways for you really to get up the curve and understand what equity crowdfunding is all about. Uh, the old suck it and see approach. You know, you might might put a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks into a few companies just to just to see how that that works. Thereafter, uh, we've got a Facebook page. Um, I think we've got an Instagram. We've got LinkedIn. But yeah, uh, we definitely putting content out uh, on on all those channels. But we have our own resource center on the site that has some videos and some other information about what we do and the general uh, equity crowdfunding and venture capital space. So that's a good place to get some information. But yeah, fly far and away to stay with your finger on the pulse, understand what we're doing. Your best to sign up and you'll, you'll get emails and you'll be able to see what deals are coming through and, and that sort of thing. Nice one. So, as as I mentioned, we uh, we like to finish the interview with uh, a final three questions. Uh, the first of which is: Do you have any must read books? I, I'm not going to tell you that you know zero to one or some of these uh, popular startup books uh, must read. Obviously, reading and learning are very uh, very unique and personal things. Look, I I love learning about new things. Uh, growing up as a kid, they called me twenty questions because I was very inquisitive and used to ask ask a lot of questions. Um, my, my kindergarten teacher renamed that to ninety nine questions. But um, yeah, look, uh, 
I, I, I don't I don't sort of go out and tell people that there's uh, any seminal texts or anything that people must read. In the kind of angel investing space, Jason Calacanis' book is, is really interesting. He was uh, one of the first investors in Uber and Robin Hood uh, and is one of the most active angel investors in, in the past sort of 10 or, 10 or so years. Um, that's a pretty interesting book and he's, he's got a great view on things. So if you are asking for a must-read book in this space, um, Jason Calacanis' book on angel investing is, is the one to do. Nice. So we'll um, put that into our show notes. For our second question, what is your go-to source for investing information for perhaps equities, but also, you know, for the sort of VC high growth stuff? Pretty interested to find that out. Sure. So look, um, I still read the AFR or the online AFR every day, Um, not being in equity markets and and looking at Iris or or Bloomberg and getting... uh, information feed through like that i'd say that's the best way to stay up to um, up to speed on what's happening in markets and you know street talk's always interesting i i, I like looking at that uh for your more uh vc startup space there's a u.s company called cb insights who i uh look at they're really really interesting they have a lot of things your more macro trends and and bigger sort of tech investing um, so that's always interesting. They're, they're out of New York, but they, they cover uh, things globally. Uh, so that's good to get themes and big big movements. Crunchbase, there's a daily newsletter. They provide uh, a list of deals that are done and things that are happening across, across the globe in startup. Uh, in Australia, Startup Daily is a good, uh, good thing to sign up to. They, they have a lot of what's happening in the startup space. Uh, and thereafter, I, I also uh, listen, oh, sorry, not listen, but um, get an email every day from Finimize, F-I-N-I-M-I-Z-E. Um, it's a really interesting new newsletter that has a bit of a bent, uh, similar to what, what you guys do in, in a you know, bit more of a younger audience who are learning and understanding uh, more traditional markets and has a really good authentic voice about how they how they do that uh it also has a, a quote of the day that i, I quite often um <laughs> send out to my uh staff some sometimes it's well received sometimes not so well received so we are we're big fans of finomize here at equity mates and uh we we are looking to uh do some interesting stuff with them in the near future so for people that haven't signed up definitely sign up uh and get the quote of the day and send it to your workplace as well i guess Last question, Johnny, that we want to finish the that we always finish our interviews with is when you look back uh, on your investing journey and you look at the younger you that was uh, just starting out. Uh, what advice would you give uh, that person as they embarked on their uh, investing journey? It's a really good question. Simply, I'd say save more and invest more. But that's you know that's that's pretty pretty basic. Look, I think. The, the biggest way you learn in investing is by doing. So, you know, the more you can you can test and do and come up with strategies and different philosophies you have around investing, uh, that's how you learn and grow. The most important thing at the end of the day is uh, removing emotion from your investment decisions, not listening to other people or not. Uh, you know, not selling when something's uh, up by a few percent, unless that was your original, uh, you know, your original investment uh, decision. So, 
yeah, spending more time learning and doing and, and, and removing emotion from your decisions is the most important things. Yeah, great note to finish on there, Johnny. One of the biggest sort of messages that we try to get across um, through the show and Alec and I are, are big supporters of is absolutely just getting stuck into it. You, you don't learn until you're in there. You can do all the paper trading and sort of research that you want, but it's not until you're in there um, that you really understand uh, who you are as an investor and uh, really get stuck into it. So um, certainly agree with you there. So as Alex said, thank you for, for joining us on, on the show today. I'm, I really do hope that we've been able to expose uh, the Equity Mates community to a different form of uh, investing into um, securities. I think um, very interesting uh, concept. And, and as uh, Alex said, it's, you know, it's a really interesting place at, at uh, this, this stage of um, the Australian VC industry. So if anyone of our listeners want to go and check it out, head to Equitize website and uh, have a have a good look around because it certainly is uh, another tool that you can add to your investing portfolio if if you're interested in getting into that private uh, private equity sort of stuff. So thanks for your time, Johnny. Really appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only. Please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.